Are you tired of being broke? Do you struggle with debt? Are you ready for a change? If so, you found the right place. Welcome to the Proper Sense Podcast, where money doesn't talk, it works. My name is Eric, and I invite you to join me and my co-hosts, Keith and Nick, as we reveal the truth about how to succeed financially. Whether you're just beginning your journey or have many miles behind you, we're here to help. If you would like to follow or contact us, visit propersense.com. What it do? We're back with another episode of the Proper Sense Podcast. I'm Nick Shermans along with Eric Stoffer, and today we're going to talk about how to make good money habits hard and bad money habits difficult. Good money habits easy and bad money habits difficult? Good money habits easy and bad money habits hard. I said that the opposite of what I wanted to, so thank you. So everything is everything is hard on Thursday morning. So I did something that I never do last night. I had a couple pops, right? <laughs> so so in the Northwest, uh, it's nice five months out of the year, give or take. You know, there's some fringe months. And, and some days, I don't even care what day it is, but when the sun's out, it's 75 degrees. I'm on my back porch. The kids are playing. They don't need me to hold their hand or do stuff with them. The wife and I decided to have a couple pops, and I might have got carried away. Now, I know the feeling. I don't think I had I, – I started calling them sodas years ago, switched away. I didn't like the word pop, so I went with soda. Um, and I, I went a long time without really drinking any of them. And then now that I've got kids in the later stages of, of elementary school, you know, that we've got the little soda cans around the house. And sometimes, man – during lunch, eating a sandwich, got a bag of chips, or something like a root beer on ice that just is very, very satisfying. Well, well, and for me, and I think we're talking about the same thing because you're a smart guy, but, but for me, the time from getting off work, you know, I'm stressed, I need to calm down. That 5.30 to 7.30 window when the kids are wiling out, they need to be fed, like that could be a stressful time. So that's when I would have a beer or two just to just to calm my nerves. And I know, you know, I've been reading about uh, the death of alcohol. Like a lot of people are using different types of beverages, weaning off alcohol because it's bad for you, yada, yada. But sometimes it just fills that gap nicely. Well, it's the perfect topic when we're going to be talking about habits, good habits and bad habits. So anything you do, if you came home every day and you had a toaster strudel to relax yourself after work, you'd probably start salivating as you were walking in the door after a couple of weeks waiting, waiting to put that greasy white goodness on top of your toaster strudel. Yeah, I I probably come off like a piece of shit in this open, but I don't care. So let's get into the topic of the day, making good money habits easy and bad money habits hard. So we all know about the foundational pieces of a solid financial household, right? We've talked budget, we've talked emergency funds, retirement savings, staying out of debt, those are true in 2021. They were true in 1997. They're going to be true in 2060. Where people fall short is knowing what they should do and actually doing it, right? We're firm believers at Proper Sense that habits shape the people that we become, the people that we are. So you are a summation of, of your daily habits. Eric is a summation of his daily habits. 
And good habits, time is your ally. If you have bad habits, time is your enemy. And that could be true with your diet. It could be true with your money. It could be true with your fitness. So we're gonna offer some, some keys and some cues about optimizing your environment to promote good money habits and dissuade you from bad money habits. That's right. I, I love that. And I've heard you say that before, that you're a summation of your habits. And I think that that is a great sort of 10,000 foot view of how we operate as humans. Because like you said, if you eat crappy food on a regular basis, you're not going to be healthy. If you don't exercise, same thing. If you have a habit of going to Starbucks three times a day, you're going to also be unhealthy and you're not going to have any money. There's a, there's a whole bunch of these things. And, and on the flip side, if you get up at five and you go for a run and you have a schedule and you have a system and, and you know, it, it's like taking out the garbage. If you don't take out the garbage every week, it starts to create a problem. And so with every little thing that you do, every decision that you make, every habit that you form, if it's good, it's going to help you. If it's bad, it's going to hurt you. And so it's important to focus on those good habits and then also be aware of your bad habits. So here's a practical example that applies to me. This has nothing to do with money, but when I get home from work and if I sit on the couch for more than 10 minutes, I'm not working out, right? But if I get home from work, I say hi to my family, I go upstairs and put on my workout clothes, that's my cue. Okay, it's time to work out. And it's a simple thing. Go upstairs, take off my work clothes, and put on my workout clothes. That just exponentially increases the likelihood that I'm going to work out. We can do the same thing with money where you can do the right thing and it just becomes ingrained in your behavior. It becomes a daily habit. Yeah, and you're, you're a big Atomic Habits guy. Great book. Anybody who hasn't read it, highly recommend it. Uh, and they talk about that. I don't remember the exact breakdown, but I think it's three or four steps that create a habit. It's, and one of them is the cue. There's always something that triggers what comes next. It's kind of like if you walk in the house and your spouse has been you know, simmering some spaghetti sauce, your brain, it, it's a cue to start salivating immediately. And so it's like that with any other habit. There's a, there's a trigger or a cue that will get the entire process started. And I think an underrated part of that is your environment, right? Like they talk about optimizing your environment to create the outcomes that you want. So back to my example about working out, if I load up a water bottle full of ice water, if I lay out my workout clothes the morning of, you know, before going to work, all, all of these things optimize my environment. So when I get home from work, I walk in, I see that my water bottle's filled, I see that my workout clothes are clean and laid out. That, again, increases the likelihood that I'm going to work out. So today we're going to talk about tangible examples of good environments, good habits, where you can start to dial in and make progress on your financial house, and then the opposite of that as well. So what are some bad environments or bad habits that you're doing, or some you might know you're doing, some you might not know you're doing, that can get you on the wrong path? I can rattle off a few, Eric, you might have a few, but... Probably the most common good habit as it relates to retirement savings is automating your 401k, automating your 401k contribution straight out of your paycheck, right? So you don't see the money, your, your, your budget is tailored, so it's not used to getting an extra chunk. So that money is automatically siphoned off in, into your 401k. You don't see it, you don't touch it. That happens 
every pay period. That is an example of a, a good money habit that just becomes ingrained in your program. Yeah, that's a great example. And I think it's one of the easiest ones once it's established. It For some people, it's the hardest, right? So if they're used to living at the edge of their paychecks or even a little bit beyond their paychecks and they haven't been saving for their retirement through their 401k or an IRA or anything like that, the transition from going from zero to there can be the difficult part because the idea of all of a sudden losing $500 or $1,000 a month out of your monthly spend can seem daunting. And so the key on something like that is to make sure that you have a budget, you've figured out where you could cut expenses, get used to that new one, and then once you have and once it's automated, you never have to think about it again. And then it transitions right back into, all right, where does this extra money when we start to accumulate more or get raises or cut expenses, where's the next thing we can do and what's the next habit we can form in order to keep it going? Eric, is there anything in your personal program where you're, you're automatically doing that would be a, a good habit? Or conversely, is there something that you purposefully have to get rid of that helps you avoid bad habits? One of the habits I have, um, and it's, it's, I'm not a believer as, you, as we talk about all the time, I don't believe in buying things on credit cards with the expectations of paying it off over time. I believe, you know, that's, I need it now, I'll deal with the payments later. Um, that's an instant gratification thing. And now that doesn't stand for emergencies when you don't have access to anything else. But let's say I want to buy something and it's going to cost $5,000 or we want to take a trip and we figure out it's going to be $3,000 to do that. Rather than just spending the money and then figuring out where it comes from later, what we do is we target out how far it is that we want to wait, basically. All right, do we want this in three months and it's 3000 bucks? Well, we need to find $1,000. Uh, a month. Do we want this uh, next year? And then divide it out. Okay, we need uh, 3,000 divided by 12. And then what I do is I take one of my online savings accounts and I have it automatically right after the first of the month debit out of our main checking account so that it's gone, just like a 401k deposit. So it comes, our paychecks come in, the money comes out automatically, and then it goes automatically over here where it's set aside until the number gets to where we want to be, and then we can make the purchase. And we do that with big purchases, small purchases, anything that we can't cash flow or don't want to cash flow out of our monthly budget. And look, the the outside world, Eric, you're you're a big fan of talking about this. Like you're fighting a complex that wants you to spend money. Like I was just buying something on Amazon and they have a one-click feature. Like that, that makes it super frictionless for me to just to start buying stuff. And then also, like I have a work computer that I'll do some online shopping. I like to buy stuff on eBay, golf stuff. And your, my, my payment info just autofills. So, you know, when you're talking about getting rid of bad habits, like you can delete all that shit. Like delete the pre-populated buying stuff online. Make yourself dig into your wallet punch in your 59-digit credit card number, that creates friction, and that could that's a small thing, but it could help you at least think about what you're doing rather than two clicks and you just bought $1,000 worth of crap. I love that example because that's exactly right on so many levels. First off, you're working up against the smartest, most advanced technology companies that every year are getting better and better and better and better at removing the money from your wallet and putting it into theirs. The Amazon one-click buy is a great example. 
You don't even, you know, think about when you wanted something in the past, when you wanted something 10, 15 years ago, you had, you know, let's say I wanted a little stand for my cell phone to watch something while I was eating breakfast. I'd have to figure out where they sold those, get in the car, drive over there, find the one. There would only be one option and then decide if I wanted it or not and then and then buy it and come home. Like you said, that adds a whole bunch of friction. And so a lot of times you make do with what you got or you don't really care. And you're like, ah, it's not worth the hassle to do that. Now with this, hey, we'll have it to you by three o'clock if you order it by noon business. And you, and you can go on and look at a thousand of them, press one button. It doesn't even feel like you're paying for anything. You know, the old days you had to go in, if you had $100 in your pocket, you had to sit there, look at your money, hand them something tangible, decide if it was worth it. Now we're trained to just swipe, or originally we were trained to swipe. Now we're just trained to press a button. And, and all of these tech companies know that if we sh change the orange button, a slight different shade, and we move it 10 pixels up, people engage 4% more. And so it's all, everything's being manipulated and making it easier and easier and easier for you to spend that money. And I love the idea of adding friction. You know, I run into it, a, a side example is I'll find myself getting caught up every once in a while in the news, right? You know, get, wife gets home after work, you turn on the nightly news and then you start to get wound up. And then, and then the next day I've, I'm looking at the news apps and reading all this. And then I realize at the end of it, at a, ha a half hour later, I don't remember anything that I read. It didn't change anything about my life. All it did was kind of make me anxious. And so what I do, I deleted the news app. And now all of a sudden my life continues. I don't seem to miss out on anything major that's happening, but just the simple act of deleting the app off of my phone made it more difficult for me to find that information. And now I don't have to get bogged down by all the content farms making crap just to get me wound up and to click on their ads. Yeah, I think that's the beauty of habits because you can apply them to so many aspects of your life. Like I, I got rid of social media, personal social media a couple of years back. And it's not like I was trolling on there. I wasn't looking at my ex-girlfriend or anything, but, but it is a distraction. And you find yourself commenting on stupid stuff and you get sucked in. And I deleted all of that. And same thing, I don't miss any of it. And it, it frees me up to be present and focus on things that matter. You know, we can, we can look at our, our, our habits across multiple disciplines and just take the low hanging fruit and focus on things that are really important that make us happy. You know, I've got a few examples too on, on good habits that we can do to optimize our environment uh, regarding to money. So, so I'll just spout a few of these off. Uh, one of these I really like that I do myself. So I, I check my credit report once a month. One, you can see progress on like paying off your mortgage. You get your, this instant feedback of your score going up. And that is on my, uh, I favorited Credit Karma on my web browser. I have a calendar reminder once a month to check it on my Outlook. So this has just become baked into my, into my routine and, it, and it's nice. One, I can track fraud. Two, I can see tangible progress. And you know, a lot of people think that getting on the right track with personal finance is making these huge mon monumental shifts and life changes and all this stuff. It's not, it's, it's small daily wins. It's optimizing your habits. It's doing the right thing on Monday at 10 a.m., right? So don't think it's this, it's just major hurdle. It's just get started, do something small. Small wins equals big, big outcomes over time. That's right. In a previous podcast, you, I think it was the, the quote in what, what locker room was it? The Spurs? 
that you said, the San Antonio Spurs. So it talked about, you know, the the rock breaker. You're sitting there, and I'm going to butcher it, but you're sitting there, and you hit it 99 times, and it doesn't seem like it's doing anything, but that 100th hit is the one, and the rock splits in half. And that's how so much with money and being successful with money, that's that's what it comes from. You know, right now we're living in this time where everybody's investing, they call it investing, but everybody's going in on GME and and YOLOing into Dogecoin and all of these other things because you've got a whole generation that's starting to think that you may, that, well, they feel like they're being left out, you know, with house prices and college tuition and college loans and, and feeling like they're falling behind. And so they're thinking that the only way to get ahead in this is I've got to take one of these shots and I've got to, you know, 20x my money, throw everything I've got into it, and that's the way that I'm going to get ahead. And it's just not because even if you do that once and you're successful, if you haven't created the foundational habits around money, like automated savings, putting aside a couple hundred dollars a month for this, retirement savings, building an emergency fund over time, then eventually that money's just going to go away anyways, because it's all comes down to the habits that you build. And you mentioned the calendar. I think the calendar for some people is a very underutilized tool because that's exactly right. I, I'm supposed to replace, I've got four filters in my house that I have to replace once a month. And I'd never remember to do that if my calendar didn't pop up once a month and remind me to do it. So, you know, use the tools that are available, find the habits that you that you know are leading to bad things, figure out how to change those, and then reinforce the things that are good. So Eric, I don't want to go off the rails here, but you said something that struck a chord with me. So all these meme traders, meme traders, whatever, I'm going to age myself talking like that. But to me, it's the ultimate Hail Mary. It's, it's trying to take the shortcut. It's trying to, to take a shortcut, right? To me, being right, like if you hit one out of the park in Doge and turn your $1,000 into $500,000, that, that's great, but it's a dangerous path because you're going to be armed with false confidence. Like you're going to do it again and again and again. And you're probably not going to focus on the fundamentals. You're, you're going to be focused on hitting the next 10 bagger. And it's really hard to duplicate that. One, you probably don't have an investment process. Two, you probably think your good result is the outcome of skill when it's really luck. And three, it's really hard to be right time and again over a period of time. So I would just caution those, yeah, you can speculate, but do it with a small percentage of your net worth and really focus on getting the small stuff right. Like take the low-hanging fruit, live live beneath your means, stay, stay out of debt, focus on earning, and focus on the long game. Yeah, you're spot on. I mean, that's there's, a, there's another book that is one of my favorites. It's called The Millionaire Next Door, and it's, it's a little old at this point, but basically the author went in and studied millionaires, you know, hundreds of them met with them and, and, and collected data, you know, everything from the cars that they drove to the neighborhoods they lived in to, you know, how they accumulated their wealth to their culture, what they came from. And there was a lot of patterns that emerged and he ultimately had sort of a, this is what your average millionaire looks like. And it was very eye-opening because in modern society, we get so, we get bombarded, you know, your entrepreneur magazine and your shark tanks and all this other crap because we idolize these rich, you know, swing for the fences and they hit a giant home run and they make a hundred million dollars or a billion dollars on some startup. But it never really focuses on what it actually takes for most people to become a millionaire. And what it is, is it's 
what you said, living below your means, most of them buy or drive used cars. They're usually the wealthiest on their block. They don't extend to get to the next level all the time. And some side things, a lot of them, and this is a whole different conversation, a lot of them are immigrants because they come in with a work ethic that, you know, a lot of our culture just doesn't kind of train into kids these days. And then there's this entire pattern that forms and it's all built around the foundation stuff we talk about. Living below your means, having a budget, uh, saving money. And then the, the funny thing is, is the turning point for almost all of them, it's not like one day they just sold something and made $4 million. They just looked up one day and it ticked over a million bucks. And then, and then it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows because their lifestyle habits of living below their means, saving excess money, saving for retirement is ingrained in their system. And they usually, and the average is they hit, become a millionaire sometime in their 40s. Well, and you might have friends or family that if they passed away or if you know intimate details about their situation and they're, they're super wealthy, but you never would have known it. Like there, there's countless examples of people that you read about in the local newspaper. A person dies, doesn't have any heirs, and they donate like 10 million bucks to the local library. And people look and they say, well, I, I never would have guessed this guy or gal had that much money. It's like because they they lived a humble, meager lifestyle, and I I think you've said this in the past. This is from the psychology of money. Wealth is what you don't see, right? You have you're not privy to their investment statements. You're not privy to to what they have in the bank. Just because someone drives a Porsche or lives in a huge house doesn't mean they're wealthy. It probably means they have some good income or they have access to credit, but it doesn't mean that they're wealthy. You know, I I in a in another life I talk to a lot of high net worth people. And if you lined all of them up across the board and they just came in their usual car, their usual program clothes and yada yada, the ones that you think were super wealthy and the ones that you thought were maybe not so wealthy, it, it would basically be the opposite. So take that for what it's worth. Yeah, it comes down to how you use your money, right? You can do arguably three things with it. You can buy something now with it. You can give it away. Or you can invest it. And if you have a thousand bucks and your habit is to always spend it whenever it comes into your bank, you will you will consume that money and get the satisfaction of whatever the item or trip or food was at that moment. And eventually it'll go away forever versus taking at least part of that, investing it for the future or saving it for something out over time. And then that becomes a little business in a sense that generates money or wealth over time that if given enough time will eclipse the initial amount that you put in. And if you do that enough on a regular basis and let time do its thing, then you can sit back while your money makes more money than you and you don't have to worry about it. But if you consume everything you have when you get it, you will constantly be living hand to mouth and you will need to work arguably for the rest of your life in order to sustain that way of living. So a good actionable way to do what Eric's talking about is to automate your savings plan, right? That, that just creates a good habit. So we talked about the 401k. You get paid every two weeks. A chunk of your paycheck goes automatically into the 401k. You can do the same thing with an IRA, right? On the 15th of every month, I'm going to put $500 into my IRA. If you want to create additional positive cues, you can... Put, put things on your calendar. Like my wife and I, we can review our budget once a month at the first of every month. 
and just to make sure we're on the right path. I talked about logging on to Credit Karma to track my credit score. I, I put that on my calendar for the 15th of every month. So automate as much as you can, both on the savings front and the behavior front to create positive habits. And before you know it, you'll be, you'll be creating the ideal life that you'd want. And you can do it on the flip side. So if you're not at the point that you're able to save, if you're drowning in debt and you're trying to get out from underneath that, you automate it in the other way. Don't wait until your credit card comes in and then spend all the money that you want for the month and then decide, okay, well, I guess I can pay the minimum and I'll add another 50 bucks. Decide up front. All right, I owe this much money. This is how long I'm willing to pay for this. Automate that payment every single month. Don't worry about the minimum payment. If the minimum payment is 80 bucks, pay $300 or pay $500. Set up that automation so that way that debt you don't even think about it. You take it out of your budget. You know it's already going to be spent. So you don't wait until the end of the month to see how much money you have left over. You build your life with what is left after you've already decided where your 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 money wants to go. That's why I'm a firm believer in saving first. And there's a term that is very popular. It's called pay yourself first. So decide what you want to do with your money and then build your life off of the rest rather than just adding bills to your life and then figuring out if you can save after that. Okay, so let's flip this around. We've talked about good habits. What about making bad habits hard? You can get pretty creative on this side. Like I'll spout off a couple real life examples of people in my life, not necessarily ha having to do with money, but you know, some pretty comical, pretty comical examples of the lengths people will go to to avoid destructive habits. I have a friend who is a degenerate gambler. He self-excluded himself. He excluded himself from the local casino. So if he walks in there, they will literally tackle him and, and he could get a ticket for trespassing because he just blowtorches money there. He's excluded himself from online casinos. Like he can't play online poker anywhere. So he knows if he has access to these things via his phone or just driving uh, 15 minutes up north, he has just excluded himself. So kudos to him for recognizing he's a POS and not allowing himself to partake. I have another friend that when they get drunk, they get online and buy stuff. So they've removed every online shopping app off of their phone. Now, there's been a few slippages where they can get on their work laptop and, you know, at 1 a.m. start to buy stuff. But, but again, they're, they're making it harder for them to partake in their destructive behavior. And lastly, I have a friend who is a video game player. He plays video games a lot. Like I'm talking like 10 plus hours a day, which is not conducive if, you're, if you have two kids and you've got a career. So he's actually locked his video gaming console in the back of his closet and like buried it in clothes. You know, again, so he walks in from work. You see, he doesn't see his video game console, so he carries on. If he saw it, he might be prone to plop down in his beanbag chair and sit there like a disgusting human being and play for five hours. So it goes both ways. I think you hit on it too, because it's what we were talking about in the beginning. It's those cues. First, identifying what habits you have that are bad, right? If I walk by the fridge, I have a habit of opening it and grabbing a soda. Okay, well, 
something like that, you're not going to be able to avoid walking by your fridge, but maybe take the sodas out of the fridge. Maybe start by taking the sodas, putting them in the closet. So that way, if you want one, you got to go get a glass, you got to get ice. It adds some steps in the process and gives you time to think, you know, is this what I want to do? If, uh, if that doesn't work, then maybe start or maybe move to the, to the nuclear option of just not having the sodas in the house. It's the same thing with, you know, like Instagram. Um, there's a lot of good things on Instagram, but there's a lot of bad things on Instagram. And it depends on how you curate your feed and who you follow. But, you know, one of the trends I've noticed a lot is it seems that everybody has the habit of buying crap that influencers are pushing on Instagram, which is why my wife who's in marketing, it's one of their best channels that they use because people are, are influenced by it. And so if that's the problem, if you're always buying this makeup product from this person and, and realizing that's becoming a problem and you're spending too much or, or this fitness thing that's not working, maybe just stop following that person or maybe silencing them for a little bit or better yet, just, dis, uh, just uninstall Instagram for a week or two and see if that helps. And then if it does, build the habit of not getting impulse buying as, as frequently and then see if you can start inter- introducing those things back into your life so that way you know, you're not just running free buying all of this crap that you don't need. Well, back to the soda example, Eric, you could actually keep your soda in your backyard. I think it's 110 degrees in Arizona right now. That would dissuade you from gulping down a sugary beverage. And then I told my wife, like she does all the grocery shopping. I said, when you buy beer, my alcohol consumption goes way up. If you just don't buy beer, I don't even think about it, which is good for me. Like internally, I'm doing all these checks. Okay, you're not an alcoholic. Yeah, it's fine to buy beer, but just don't do it all the time. Don't buy a 30 bomb, a 30 pack. Like that that's excessive, excessive. If you do it in moderation, you know, I think balance is important, but you know, again, it's it's just cues. Small humans are pattern-seeking beings, and we respond to cues. So again, we're we're probably repeating ourselves, but promote good good habits by setting up the right cues and dissuade bad habits by removing the cue. Speaking of the grocery store, because that is a giant hole for a lot of families, right? Most people, if you ask them how much they spend every month at the grocery store, I would bet they can't even get within three or $400 of what they actually spend because it's one of those things. Some people shop once a week, but most people, you're at the grocery store two, three, sometimes four or five times a week. You know, you can't walk in. It's like Costco. You can't walk in without spending $200 even if you just went to go get some avocados or something. There's always these little things that are gonna fill up that you're gonna grab, you walk through, you do this. So here's a habit that I started a while back. Write a list and not even sit down every week and have to start from scratch. I realized that 80% of everything that I was buying are the same things. So I made a spreadsheet. This might be a little nerdy or a little too advanced, or not advanced, but a little too on the fringes for some people. But we were spending so much money at the grocery store because one, when you shop, you have these great ideas of what you're going to do. We're going to make five big meals throughout the week. And then the week happens and you realize, oh, I'm not going to do this. And so you go out, you order food, you do this. So not only do you spend money on something else, you also end up throwing up or throwing away a bunch of food that you've already spent money on. So building that foundational list, this is the 80% of the things I need eggs, I need milk, I need I need sandwich material, I need these things, I need these things for the kids. 
And then building off of that, and we found our shopping or our grocery bill has plummeted dramatically because we're not throwing away so much stuff at the end of the week when it goes bad. So you're saying uh, in the checkout line when there is magazines and knickknacks and candy, that is on purpose from the marketers and the food companies? That is targeted at your kids. And my kids, just like how it was when I was a kid, I don't think I, was, I ever bought one thing from that line as a child and neither have my children. And for those parents out there, if you don't ever let them do it, they will stop asking. And that's the key. And yes, those extra three, four, five bucks that every time you go through the register and all three of your kids are, I want this, I want this, I want this. And it's easier just to say yes. If you create the habit of saying no after a month or two, they'll stop asking. And heck, you might even save 30 bucks a month in the process. To sum this up, make your good habits easy, optimize your environments for, for those cues that promote good habits, and make your bad habits difficult. Optimize your environment to remove the negative cues. Eric, do you have anything to add before we sign off? It starts with being honest with yourself. It starts with being honest about your habits. It, it starts with identifying your habits. You know, it, that part can be hard. It can be difficult to admit that you watch too much Netflix or you spend too much money at you know the driving range or whatever it is that you do, there's gonna be multiple of them. And you gotta think about it in the context of your ultimate goal. So if your ultimate goal is to become wealthy or to pay off debt or just to build a better future for you and your family financially, make that the carrot that you're going for. And then whenever you're thinking about those habits, look at it through that prism and say, does this get me there? And we're not saying that you need to become a hermit. You need to be somebody that lives in a, in a shack and, and retire and, and donate a million or $10 million to the library when you die. We're just saying, if you are struggling with money now, Look at your habits, be honest about them, and then think if they're going to get you closer or further away to your ultimate goal of financial independence. And if they don't, then start working backwards and figure out how you can adjust those habits, change your cues, remove things, and just become a little bit more solid in your decision making. That's good stuff. He's Eric. I'm Nick. More content, check out propersense.com. We'll see you next time.